Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a podcast where we talk cricket with those in the know. I'm your host, Benny, and this week we will be speaking with journalist and author Vijay Lokapalli. We talk about his journalism career, his thoughts on the current state of Indian cricket, and his book he co-authored with Gulu Ezekiel, Speed Merchants, The Story of Indian Pace Bowling, 1886-2019. to Along the way, we also talk fast bowling captains, favorite cricket eras, and the truth behind player rifts. So, let's get to it. A very warm welcome to Vijay Lokapalli. Hello, sir. Welcome to The Last Wicket. Hello, Benny, Mayank, and hey, Manish. Well, we're so happy that, you know, you joined us today. And, um, you know, a, a, one question that we, it's really become part of our routine to ask people these days is, you know, we're living in strange and turbulent times. So, you know, a very quick check-in with you. How are you doing during these COVID times? Well, it's been very tough, uh, almost more than a year. I haven't, in the last one year, I think I've stepped out thrice. And uh, I mean, I just can't, I mean, uh, afford to uh, invite COVID because uh, I'm I'm diabetic. So I'm very vulnerable. So that's one reason I have to I'm confined to my home, uh, but so are so many of us. Uh, you just can't. Uh, it's it's a very different world now. Very very different world. I mean, all my life I have traveled for cricket games, and I'm last more than a year I have not stepped out. So it's very scary. Uh, it's very depressing, and I hope the world improves very soon. Same here, and you know you're very active on social media, so I know you know when you share stories of either cricketers themselves or from the journalist fraternity, you know, people who are affected, people who have even lost their lives. And especially if you know them, you know, it's a, it's a hard, you know, hard place to be at. Um, so how is, how has this affected your journalist career? It has. I mean, if you see uh, in the sense, uh, obviously nothing is happening where journalists are not allowed to go to the press box now. You have to essentially watch it on TV and write. So for me, um, 
being not being able to go to the ground is is a very different life not just me there are many like there are many uh, young journalists who would love to go to the ground and write but uh, unfortunately they have no entry and uh, it's been a hard life for journalists i mean the young people they are struggling to keep their jobs many have lost their jobs suffering right. pay cuts so it's it's hard life and i feel for them i honestly feel for them because many of them are so so talented and very I- fascinating that you said that so how has it been different watching the game on tv and writing about it versus being at the ground and right no himanish there is a world of difference i mean uh, i uh, i'm sure you'll realize uh, tv you get to see what they want to show you right the frame is right. very limited you can't get the crowd you can't get the the field whether it's even if say forget cricket look at a football game football game if you're at the venue you are watching every player all the 22 right. on the ground you watch their movements you are involved but television is is it 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 narrows your uh, vision it narrows your perspective also and then um uh, what i do is uh, to tell you very honestly i watch it on mute because if i am at the ground i wouldn't be listening to the commentary right so i have right. to use my perspective so whether it's right. a international game or a domestic domestic especially right. there, there is no commentary there or no television in fact so i watch it on mute to enjoy the experience of i feel as if i'm at the ground but of course like i said very limited very fascinating and you know i really hope for everyone's sake especially people home in india that you know things start getting better soon uh it's not just about the cricket but just in terms of you know everyone's lives that's been affected so drastically really since last year but especially in the last few weeks it feels like um but i really hope and pray that things start getting better soon you know last last yesterday i i lost a friend who had been organizing a cricket tournament in delhi for 35 years and wow. this morning i i lost uh, we lost a scorer come umpire who who i have whom i've seen grow in the he came from kanpur to delhi and stayed on and uh, he was a, a scorer contracted with the bcci so both consumed by covid and uh, the last 24 hours i was wondering you know uh if i go to the ground next time it's going to be so different the scorer is right. gone one of the one of the uh, very brilliant cricket organizers is gone pramod sood pramod sood and 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 kk tiwari these were the soul of delhi cricket believe me so it's been very hard i don't know how many uh, what the future is going to be right well hard times uh but let's you know we want to kind of talk to you about you know your career um you know like i mentioned to you offline I'm someone who has grown up uh just reading physical newspapers <laughs> whenever there was cricket on and reading match reports and you know reading like sports magazines cricket magazines before all the online <laughs> boom and of course you along with many other authors were you know who would you know post the match reports and that's how we grew up understanding the game loving the game and I know you have such a long career in writing and journalism how did you get into it though how, what piqued your interest in journalism or just sports writing sports writing because see i was good at essay writing i loved writing and reading cricket was of course i was very passionate about the game i used to play as all you all of you would have in the neighborhood and at some point club cricket and then uh, but it was just coincidence it so happened uh, believe me my mother she gave me, she she knew how i loved cricket so 1969 there was this india australia test match she gifted me a season ticket for the test believe me and it was very expensive those days 26 rupees 
for the season ticket and those 26 rupees she shelled out she had saved from a savings she gave gave it to me so i would go to the ground evening i would come back and tell the story of the day uh, oh. to her um, although she she uh, there was no television at home they made just the radio commentary but uh, she would wait for me uh, i would come back and uh, narrate and then and she said uh, okay why don't you write about it so i didn't take it seriously writing about what i saw Uh, but many years later when mr bedi retired mr bishan singh bedi retired i thought uh, journalists didn't do justice to his retirement i shot off letters to newspapers so two of them used it <laughs> indian express and uh, the patriot used it as an article and, uh, okay. and mr ha and they published it it was a big story a good four column display i got and uh, mr bedi happened to read it so he 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 kind of reached me through the sports editor of the newspaper mr pvr menon and he wrote me a note and then mr menon took me to meet him uh, at the ferusha kotla and and that was how it began you know that he gave me a letter of appreciation mr bedi so i preserved it um so that really triggered off my to say my my love for writing because i thought oh mr mr bedi likes my writing so <laughs> i must be very very good and uh, and uh, so that's how it was he encouraged me and he is the reason why actually believe me i became a journalist wow you know uh for for us amateur cricket fans I, i think i can speak for at least mike that you know we would write blogs you know when we were following the game and i think that's kind of really blown up in the last decade you know where people want to share their thoughts people who are not they're not particularly working in the cricket field but just regular cricket fans who have full daytime jobs uh but and i used to blog you know uh, i used to have a blog on cricket for many years uh do you think that has impacted traditional cricket journalism in the sense like traditional writers who travel with teams or to report on matches and then on the other hand you get you know like the online sphere where so many people are also writing does that at all have any impact on you know journalists or is that just completely a different they don't overlap no it has had an impact one uh, you have to write well now hmm. because not all professional journalists were all good writers so let me put it very honestly we we had a set pattern set template style to write a cricket game Uh, a local game or a domestic cricket match or an international match you would write differently or try to write differently because you know when you want you writing on an international match you're going to get more people to read that report so it has changed and i'm very happy to see that there is so much to read now in newspapers right. and online content is so rich uh, you get different views so sometimes it changes your own perspective right so i mean tomorrow if if himanish uh, puts out something on cricket four and i will know it's a different view on the game uh, it and often it also allows me to correct myself right because when you read uh, different reports in different views you understand that at so and so point uh, you would have been wrong uh, there is nothing wrong in admitting i mean you can make a mistake i i made mistake my career so uh, in in judging a player so uh, it has it has become uh, cricket content or sports writing uh, has it has rich content online now and uh, the very fact that see all these fans who never earlier had a platform to express their opinion they had to they were compelled to read what somebody 
uh, like Vijay Lokapalli is writing for because they were not able to go down. Then came television. Now they have access to so much cricket online through blogs and through these commentary uh, like Crick, Crick Info and Crick Buzz. They have this running commentary, youngsters right. uh, commenting on the game and, and of course television. Once you watch the game, you form your own uh, impression. You don't really have to read next day what Benny or Himanish or Mayank have to say because you have watched it. But right. But still, you will more. You may want to read just to understand if uh, what you thought and what Vijay is writing. What should I say? It 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 kind of uh, relates to same opinion. Right. So I think I think it has cricket writing, sports writing has definitely changed because of the online content and it's more challenging, more uh, more competitive. Definitely more more competitive. And uh, because in my time, let me tell you very honestly, if I'd gone to a Ranji Trophy match. Whatever I wrote, you would have to accept because you were not there. <laughs> so all my mistakes were hidden, right? You, there's no way for you to find out whether I've, 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 I've been accurate. So over the years, you tend to kind of identify yourself with a particular uh, cricket journalist or a, or a sports journalist. So that was it. But um, it, I'm happy it has changed. And that's such a great thing, right? Like to get perspectives from all corners. Like you said, 20, 30 years ago, we were completely reliant on journalists or writers who are entrenched with the team. We don't know if there are any agendas involved, um, but now you get so many different perspectives from people close to the team, from people who are far removed from it. So they're not influenced by anything else. And that's great. And that's, you know, that's one of the things with, you know, even the cricket, like a cricket podcast, this medium is so good in that for us, like just regular fans, we can interact with just someone who's probably working in a bank, uh, you know, 40 hours a week. And then we talk to him on the weekend about the cricket. And then the following week, we speak to someone who has played at the highest level and we get two completely different perspectives on the same thing. And I think it only improves conversation. It improves our understanding of the game and enhances our love for the game. Absolutely. And, uh, and the thing is, I love these podcasts because uh, you are not professional writers you you there's so many other <clears throat> cricket lovers who do these podcasts they are not professional in the, in the sense that they don't they, they don't run their kitchen through earnings from those podcasts right? right so so this is uh, i have i mean recently i i was approached by two kids 15 year old and they wanted to do a podcast with me and they've done it i was amazed with their research with their questions with the knowledge um, I mean, if I, when I was 15, I was only playing. I wouldn't have thought ever <laughs> of doing a podcast with somebody. And uh, so that is the uh, that is the best part of uh, internet, social media, whatever you may call it, um, that we can reach out to uh, different people, cricketers, journalists, fans. And the best thing is, uh, honestly, all these, the, the fans I've noticed, they prepare well for them. So I love these podcasts. And then, of course, like uh, we have been talking, reaching out to people, uh, in, in, in a distant corner of the world, and talking as if we are sitting in the same room. <laughs> this right. is like we're in the same room. Now, uh, I, I also read that you consider the 1999 and 2003 World Cups to be the high point of your reporting career. Can you explain why? One was uh, the time difference, which meant that I had to be very quick with what I wrote. Okay. I had no time to review, uh, revise. I had to 
write as the game progressed so it was very challenging watching writing watching writing and uh, yeah and uh, 99 of course there were some games which which were very tough to report i had to ensure i mean it was my first world cup outside india uh, yeah england very challenging very very challenging it was a fantastic world cup also, remember the same in 2003 in south africa again this pressure of time and the pressure of delivering uh, a decent readable copy that india pakistan match uh, only and only because i was i had a laptop i had two windows a one window had india winning the other had india losing so <laughs> to be i kept on changing my report you won't believe and it was same with the tied tied match in the 1999 world cup i mean that was if you, the, the the south africa australia game oh my god i mean that was again I, the, the the challenge was to catch the beat the deadline right. it was not that yeah so i mean within 2 minutes within 2 minutes of the game ending there would be a message from the desk when is the copy landing i mean imagine the match is just <laughs> finished and he right. wants me to i have i'm supposed to give them a report within 2 minutes because they also had their issue the sense they had to release the page make the page in quick time so that was that was the reason it was challenging it it really it was stressful also i mean believe me it was not easy at times you couldn't even uh, have grab even a snack to eat. you just couldn't there was no time right. yeah 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 i mean even even to take a toilet break was tough at that time because you are missing the game and then you are missing that crucial maybe 5 minutes leaving your seat going to the washroom and then coming back it was very challenging very taxing but i enjoyed it because there were others also who were like me <laughs> so i was not the only one you know i i could see in the press box there were so many like me trying to do trying to do so many things at the same time it's funny that you you brought up the 1999 world cup semi final tied game to this day i maintain that to me personally that's my well i wouldn't say favorite game but it's the game that's still imprinted that finish is still imprinted in my mind um and it's still traumatic because i, I was a huge south africa fan at that time um but i'm wondering as a journalist like is it a challenge to remove your own personal fandom or just like your feelings and then write a very dispassionate article right because You're you're a fan. You're a cricket fan. You have your own personal thoughts on something. How do you balance that, like your personal feelings versus let me be just objective and write how the game unfolded? Yeah, I learned very early uh, in my career that as a journalist, you're not supposed to take sides. To be very, you have to be unbiased, and that is how you are. You will be judged by your fellow reporters, the cricketers, hockey players, footballers, whoever. I I did a lot of football and hockey also. in my my early so uh, it was it came to me easy even though i had so many friends as cricketers they were my friends so sometimes it would become challenged criticizing them but i would do sometimes what would happen what what i would do is when i would say if benny was my friend i would be very careful in criticism in the sense i would be less harsh but i would still do my job i never i would i never compromised vision because i was uh, i was i had to be loyal to my also editor who sent right. me on that assignment and not to the cricketer and there were a couple of occasions i remember 1998 in there was this auckland was it where dravid dravid won a big 100 1998 series and uh, when he was coming back getting out i just stood up in the press box and i just did this no sound 
And I sat. That was just my expressions. I, I felt it was a fantastic innings. And it was the only time we did it in the press. And Mr. Dicky Ratnagar, veteran, if you remember, cricket journalist and a commentator, he was one of the finest we have had. He just came up to me and said, son, step out. <laughs> he took me out. He asked me to come out of the press box and gave me, he blasted me for what I did. <laughs> so I said, sir, I did nothing. I just did this. He said, you have to do it. Do it outside the press box, not in the press. You can't be doing that. Then you're not a spectator in the press or a cricket fan there. And uh, that was a lesson. And I said, sorry, sir, I, you'll never see me doing that. And before we left the press box, after finishing our reports, he used to call me Rao. Rao, meet me in the lobby at 7 p.m. So he took me out for dinner. I mean, after having, after having blasted me, yeah. what I did, uh, he was kind enough to, you know, he, re- he must have realized that, okay, I mean, maybe he was a bit harsh, but I didn't mind. I didn't mind being reprimanded for what I did because press boss is a very sacrosanct place and I shouldn't have done that. I could have maybe gone out and met Dravid at the end of the day. So these are things I learned and uh, there were other occasions also when I got into, I mean, uh, not an argument, we disagreed, uh, top players, I mean, there's no point naming them, but most of them. I did at some point had a um, issue, had issues with them, but they, then a couple of days later, we would, we solved it. I mean, we were back as friends. So because they also realized I was doing a job and right. I was not being biased or very harsh and I was uniform in my criticism. It was not that I was sparing someone and not sparing someone else. So, uh, that is it. But it, it, I was never really troubled by this fact that I have to be unbiased. Because once you, even you tomorrow, if you go and do a match, I'm sure you, if you are in that position, uh, if you're sitting a ma- uh, watching and you have to write a report, I'm 100% sure you will not take, you will be uh, neutral because uh, it comes to you naturally. When you sit and write, you will not look to, look to defend somebody and, and attack someone. That's, I feel like that's so different from commentary these days because we can actually hear people cheering or clapping in the background so but let's let's jump to we, we want to talk to you about your book um, I mean you've, you've written several books but we want to particularly talk about a book that uh, you co-authored with uh, Gulu Ezekiel it's yeah. called uh, Speed Merchants yes story of Indian pace bowling 1880s to 2019 um, how did you both land on this idea of writing this book? It was Gulu's idea. And Gulu is, is, is absolutely brilliant with his statistics, uh, with his collection of uh, books on uh, history of the game. And he's a mad collector of, you know, cricket literature. He has some of the best and some of the very rare books. And this was um, his uh, idea. And he picked me to join him for the simple reason that we are very good friends. He, he because of his access to uh, literature, he decided on the, we divided the book into two parts. I was to take over from the time Kapil came because uh, my strong point was that I knew almost every, every bowler who played for India after Kapil Dev came, arrived as a player. Even before him, many of them I've known because of my reporting. And for Gulu, he had amazing um, uh, material which you can see in the book uh, some right. of it you know I, I had also never heard never known it was a very uh, very tough part where he had to he has so much but from that he managed this uh, did, uh, thing and and let me tell you uh, people 
should not think that this is a kind of a history of fast bowlers. It is not. We have just tried to share stories and about some of them, uh, some in detail, some not in detail. Uh, there are some anecdotes, nice ones, which Gulu pulled out uh, right. from his from the stuff he from the books he has, and which was good because not all of us would have read those books or would have known those incidents. He 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 worked very very hard on his uh, part, and for me it was easy in the sense I, I had known most of them, so I had access to them. I could talk to them. and uh, bring out what they felt about uh, fast bowling so uh, i thought it was hard work a lot of hard work uh, but uh, gullu did a brilliant job and mine I, again i'm insisting that mine was easy for the simple reason that i had a lot of material available right uh, apart from my own my own understanding and my own reading of the so i i'm re- i'm really curious because when i was reading especially the, the portion that uh, mr zekel wrote uh, you know in the 1930s India had Nisar and Amar Singh, who were who are still widely considered to be the finest Indian new ball pair in history, and in fact they were spoken of in the same breath as their English and West Indian counterparts. And then from that era, India went decades without a world class fast bowler. And one reason given was you know the 1947 partition, which caused India to lose out on many men who, because of their physique and height, were more suited for fast bowling than men from Central or South India. And as a fan, I find it fascinating because you know I grew up wishing that the likes of Wasim Akram and Shoaib Akhtar would, uh, you know, play for India. So, what what is your take on that line of reasoning, and does it still hold true in the modern era that the physique or the build of the players in North India is really more suited for fast bowling? Uh, see, uh, someone like Bhuvneshwar, he is not a very strong athlete. You look right. at Ashish Nehra. He is lean, and he has so many. He has had fitness injuries, uh, fitness issues, injuries actually, not fitness injuries. You look at Ishant. He is a lean guy. I mean, he is not the ferocious kind of a West Indian look to uh, to make the batsman. You know, so uh, it holds. It did hold true uh, when uh, when Gullu mentioned about it because uh, most of the fast bowlers then were from the north. and south was more inclined to give india spinners right from the north if you see except for mr bishan singh bedi then maninder singh of course who wanted to bowl like him uh, north hasn't given great spinners as the south of india they have been from the west also right uh, yeah so physique yes physique definitely matter uh, because those days if you remember uh, there was no science in preparing a fast bowler right today right. you have somebody like say there are some fast bowlers who are not very tall not very strong shoulder but they are athletes they are very fit and the strength so this these days they are actually manufacturing fast bowlers they are not natural so if you go to yeah i mean uh, they have a set uh, reg- uh, fitness regime uh, this many deliveries this many balls to be bowled per day and so many such scrutiny you know technical uh, scrutiny where Uh, to me uh, it seems they're all same the way they right. come and bowl the the folks who and then what they call you know the point of delivery which we thought now it is loading so it is it's become very very technical uh, so you tend to feel that as if you know we are getting more fast bowlers but the quality of javagal srinath is not there or zahir khan they were not uh, prepared by uh, by watching video by, by video analysts who would come and tell them every time and again this is what you are doing right they were natural and srinath was amazing i mean if you see 
he did at a different point in his career he did get guidance from different different coaches bowlers like kapil who would guide them uh, you look at somebody like manoj prabhakar he was not a giant he was you still you would call him a medium pacer but uh, he was good with his bowling skills so uh, this is a fact that we have never had a fast bowler but if you if you see the history after nisar and amar singh can you can anybody tell us if there was a genuine fast bowler who would make the batsman back away no right. i don't think but there was one which i would and that was padmakar uh, pandurang salgaonkar mm. he was really quick from i this i'm telling you from after having spoken to batsman who faced him he was raw he was dangerous because sometimes he, he himself wouldn't know what he's trying to bowl you know a bouncer or a beamer or a, you know or a yorker he had he he would just come and bowl so that is how a fast bowler you know you look at you look at somebody like jeff thompson you watch him you love him because of his action he would make the batsman hop around or somebody like any of the west indian fast bowlers or bob right. willis right so uh, that was very true the physical at uh, physical uh, condition of uh, indians mostly those days uh, they and also the fact that they wanted to they didn't have role models also very i mean where ramakant desai if you see he was a, they say he was very very quick of the pitch right and he yeah he would make the batsman hurry in domestic cricket and he even troubled the great uh, mr mohammad uh, uh, hanif mohammad so but if you look at ramakant desai when i met him first i couldn't believe that this gentleman would have been a fast bowler honestly right. he was so soft i mean uh, somebody like uh, how do i say even this today's fast bowlers if you see shami uh, ishan or umesh yadav umesh yadav he comes across as a very friendly fast bowler and he doesn't even yeah i mean he he's always smiling so right. Uh, it's a fact but over the years i think india has learned to has discovered some fantastic new ball bowlers <clears throat> but today <clears throat> still i think umesh yadav is probably a good a typical fast bowler i would say ishant of chami my favorite is mohammad shami the one the one thing i'll say i think your point around you know genuine fast bowlers it's interesting because uh, in the last 20 years i feel like there have been a couple of times where uh and they have brought on somebody who they've called genuine fast bowler i remember varun aaron being one of them and then he sort of faded away because he was not bowling consistently um another one was munaf who came in as a genuine quick and then turned into more a line and length bowler and and obviously he did well but uh, uh you're right i mean he did not do you know he wasn't bowling 150 plus on a consistent basis which is what uh, initially we were all told so so it's interesting that you know we went from that era to an era where now we definitely have very smart bowlers but uh, they may not all be all genuine absolutely right mayank i mean i'm so happy you pointed out varun aron because he was quick but then look at how he ended up with injury so it impacted his career and say munaf munaf also they they fiddled with his bowling action and then needlessly he was asked to concentrate on line and length when he could have been raw he would have and he was quick munaf was quick i mean he could again uh, very quick off the pitch so i'm so um, you're absolutely right these two bowlers uh, only if they had maintained uh, their original style of just coming and bowling fast varun aron yes he he and he he had the he had the belt and the, and the pace to be to be regarded as fast bowler no doubt but then not consistent that was a another fascinating passage of uh, you know in the book it, it in the 1952 tour of england 
Uh, I read that the Indian batsmen were terrorized by the pacer Fred Truman in his debut series, no less. And, uh, and many observers state that this so-called Truman trauma had such an effect that Indian cricketers were labeled for the following three decades with the stigma that they were scared of fast bowling. And it only seems like the emergence of Sunil Gavaskar in the 1970s seemed to change that. But sometimes I wonder, as a fan of that perception has really gone away. And as someone who has, you know, followed the game closely, Indian cricket closely in the last few decades, uh, what is your take on just the capability of Indian batsmen against high quality fast bowling? Gavaskar came and showed us how to play fast. Mm-hmm. How to play fast bowling. He never wore a helmet, if you remember. So right. it was technique, basic technique, for, because he was so sure of himself uh, that he would be able to avoid the ball, ball and uh, not get hit. Uh, similarly, if you see someone like uh, Mohinder Ramanath, even Dilip Engsarkar, Gundapa Vishwanath, they were all very skillful players of fast bowling and spin also. All four of them were so good against spin also with their footwork. But the uh, but the courage, see, it was. Uh, they are fearless, and then they had to be fearless. Uh, but why I I would say they were great because they never played that pace in domestically. They never came across a fast bowler of say uh, holding space or Bob Willis's no, Lily's pace in domestic cricket. So how how they adjusted themselves and how they kind of uh, motivated themselves to play these fast bowlers is something uh, amazing. Um, I've had uh, long, uh, long chats with Mr. Gavaskar on this issue. So he was, he would always say, you have to have the temperament. Skills, yes, skills do matter. But if you have the right temperament to play fast bowlers, you would succeed. Even though he was a couple of times, he did get hit, but then he came back very strongly every time. So technique was, I, I would say, paramount uh, when it came to fast bowling. And uh, then, of course, uh, you had somebody like, couple days we can talk about it later but but Gavaskar showed the way to how to play fast bowling and he was kind of uh, a huge inspiration for batsman of his era Uh, right yeah and uh, and and his and his at his prime I think every team in the world had at least three good fast so it was not that you know he would he would look to play against Sri Lanka and, and feel comfortable or feel relaxed because even Sri Lanka uh, at one point, they had good fast bowlers. So 70s and 80s, I think, was the time when you really had bowlers who relied on pace more than skill. So uh, in your book, uh, sir, you've mentioned that you know Kapil Dev admitted that uh, when he was picked for his test debut, he had not even seen a test match on TV, which uh, which is really you know fascinating because today's youngsters, today's budding cricketers have a very very different exposure. Um, so how much do you think that exposure matters in terms of creating and producing that uh, top quality talent? Ah, it does. I mean, not just uh, Kapil Mayang, even Mr. Bedi, the first test match he saw in his life was the one in which he played. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very recently he was telling me this. Uh, that was the, the first, that his debut test was the, the first time he saw a test coming from Amritsar. Uh, similarly, Madan Lal. See, those those days there was there was no telecast, right? Or they may not have had access to television at home, so they had to learn um, uh, when they encountered those situations. And uh, for Kapil, of course, I mean Kapil is an amazing cricketer. Amazing. He he always he 
I don't know if, you, if, if it is there in the book. He wanted to play cricket only because after seeing a poster of Mr. Vishwanath batting. Can you imagine? He just saw a poster of Vishwanath and he said he he felt he wanted he wanted to play cricket for whatever reason. So that is why even today he says uh, my hero is Vishy. Vishy is my hero. So uh, yeah. uh he like he says uh, he has written in his book very beautifully his experience of uh, going to pakistan uh, the first test match uh, being left and right sledged by the uh, the pakistan players uh in fact uh, being abused repeatedly and then like mr bedi says something happened like even mr gavaskar says it was something they had never imagined that an indian could give it back to and coming from punjab he the pakistanis were shocked when they when they when he hit back in the language they were uh, they understood very well so uh, it was aggression of a different kind but of course within limits he never he never crossed the limits of a sportsman so uh, kapil came and brought the aggression uh, he told he kind of if you remember he bowled uh, sadik mohammed came without helmet Uh, and he uh, when he so when he faced a couple of deliveries from couple he, he he asked for his he asked signal for a helmet so that was a big big transformation as far as indian cricket is concerned because as mr bedi says now mr gavaskar says uh, they were so happy that there was an indian bowler who could force an opponent to wear a helmet so uh, couples impact on the on the sport uh, on, on on the youngsters to be trained to fast bowling was huge because he did inspire so many of them uh, to take to fast bowling if you remember he was otherwise uh, there was madan lal who played before him kasam gavri played before him uh, abid ali played before him. he wouldn't have known about ramakant desai what uh, in the sense he wouldn't have watched him but uh, uh, he was a huge impression uh, inspiration and uh, then of course there was a flux of we had so many of them. there was a point where you had to i mean uh, they would say uh, like somebody like uh, srinath he had to wait in fact those couple they was around manoj prabhakar was around so they would play only two medium pacers two fast bowlers uh, there were times he had to sit out uh, but of course at, at any given point after uh, say in the 80s i think we had at least 10 good uh, medium pacers to so that's very fascinating because 1970s 1980s was the beginning of this chauvinistic narrative in pakistan about hindus being weak and pakistanis being a martial race it would have been very fascinating to see kapil dev sort of counter that over there right yeah yep yeah. yep yeah so he was the only uh, fast bowler captain we've had in india and until recently we haven't had many people who can command a place in the 11 but who are the fast bowlers from indian history who might have made good captains in your view who weren't given the chance fast bowlers only fast bowlers right yep 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 uh see unfortunately if you see ghavri never got to lead his state team salgaonkar no question because he he was not a great student of the game where he would think for others also and uh, kapil was a natural so it came i mean the selectors thought of uh, giving him the job because they thought he was a leader he commanded a place right so otherwise maybe srinath at some point uh, did nurture uh, ambitions to possibly lead the team uh, but he was never considered i don't know for whatever reason uh, but himanesh if you see most not many bowlers have led uh, india i mean if you see right. anil right. and kumble had to wait long time otherwise mm-hmm. yeah i mean they would they would always consider batsmen 
and there's a reason i think they they feel uh, batsmen uh, bowlers would not have to they will not have to worry about over bowling and under bowling themselves right right, right. if if they are just playing in the team that was one reason why bowlers were not considered to be for for captaincy which anil kumble uh, vehemently you know he he opposes this idea that the bowlers would uh, get stuck with their own uh, problems of setting a field getting which bowler to come and bowl at what point so it is it was best left to batsmen uh, because once you have you are if you are batting of course i mean when you are when you when you begin your innings the, all the batsmen would be under pressure but when you take to when the other opposition is batting you are not under pressure if you are a batsman right. so you are thinking for the bowler you making his life easy so that was one reason but i i think only if you ask me honestly i would say srinath was the only one who could have who they could have considered for captain because he also he he could think a lot uh, he was a good right. thinker uh, it, he never really gave that impression people thought he was just happy go lucky and he, he was not he was also a good student so i would i would have maybe uh, i would have been happy for srinath if he had led india in a few unfortunately he was never right but who, do you have anything any anyone in mind himanish you think any fast bowler you you would have preferred to no one that comes to mind i i haven't studied history before like 1980 so i don't know about that period but yeah after that period apart from srinath or zaheer there's been no stable fast bowler in the team right who could command a place in the 11 for a long time i think it's zaheer have, zaheer yeah. khan was essentially the unofficial yes. captain of the Leader bowlers of the attack. absolutely yeah. like he, he yes. used to mentor other bowlers uh too so i think he would have made I don't know if he would have made a great captain. I think he would have made a good leader, and I think he did his part mentoring and leading uh, the bowling attack in in terms of just mentoring or advising them um, in sessions uh, and the like. But again, it goes back to there were just enough options. India had a lot of options as far as leadership, especially in the last few years. Um, so I guess it does it make it. I don't think fast bowlers are ever considered in terms of. captaincy options it seems like they're always at the bottom of the pole like they're always looking for who's the best batsman in the side let's go with that person as captain and i don't know if that's a subcontinental thing but um outside of wasim akram um i don't see any other fast bowler in the subcontinent being given like a long uh you know a long chance for captain wakar 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 yunus oh that's right wakar yeah. too Ima, i think Ima it's Khan. also about cricket culture right because in india our heroes have usually been the batsmen true. and so in terms of visibility you always had the star batsman who could be the captain because you never had a star bowler right so you couldn't make them the captain in terms of like fanfare and visibility absolutely yeah. absolutely and you i'm so happy you mentioned zaid khan because uh, you're right he was as good as the unofficial captain but then that was only and only he was more of a bowling coach if, mm. uh, than right. a captain because they would he would come and give some tip on the field maybe sometime in the nets uh, to help a bowler but uh, he, he could have been a very good bowling coach he, he did apply they had considered him but i don't know what happened zaid khan and rahul dravid so uh, zaid because again he was he had a good cricketing mind and he could not just fast bowlers he could he would go and help spinners also you know at different right. stages so yeah uh, more than captain i think he would have been uh, he was more of a coach yes okay. so then so then sticking to your book uh, in i think it was chapter 9 where you mentioned when ajit wadekar became the team manager uh, he had a preference for spin and you know he wanted pitches which assist spinners mm-hmm. he wanted to pick more spinners 
which almost reminds me of you know the india england series that we had beginning of the year mm-hmm. um so what is your what is your take on that like i i know there was a lot of talk about pitches not being you know too favorable for the home team um do you think that's not fair or do you think the icc needs to step in to make it more neutral um just curious what your thoughts are uh see uh, there was this talk of having standardized pitches for this very reason but that would that wouldn't have been fair because how can you say you will not prepare a bouncy pitch at birth or a seeming track at headingley or a spinning track at chepock why not i mean it's your advantage you you have to have your home advantage and the term used uh, in vadikas time was was doctored pitches <laughs> they used to call it <laughs> doctored pitches i remember right and we wrote also doctored pitches but vadikas argument was that he says when he was under pressure having lost the series in south africa we were thrashed in the one dayers and and then we lost uh, the series also and we the one test match in zimbabwe we ended up drawing the game when it was people thought we should steamroll zimbabwe which didn't happen so when they came back home there was a lot of pressure and indian fans are very demanding you know whether in whichever era they just want india to win as if you know they do, they fail right. to understand that there is the other team has also come to win it's not <laughs> your right. team can't be winning always as a other team can be better also so if you remember the madras test match against the chennai test match against pakistan uh, when india lost in 1999 and they gave standing ovation that doesn't happen right because in the same the same pakistan team played in empty stadium at kolkata less than a fortnight later the asia test championship match so uh, what i was trying to say is this pressure of winning and keeping your uh, uh, fans happy uh, was what uh, forced wadiker to go for this and he had he had the bowlers also he had venkatpati raju who was a brilliant left arm spinner rajesh chauhan uh, he was a very he was an attacking off spinner and the great anil kumble with these three wadiker right. was very confident of winning uh, if the pitches were doctored as they say and uh, but they were not uh, if you remember the pitches were helpful to spinners they were not what they called mind what you would say mind fields exactly exactly uh, so and the same applied in this uh, series at home having done well in australia and then uh, running into the first test match where root played the spinners so beautifully uh, they realized that others were struggling and it was fact the the reading was perfect ravi shastri his cricket brain worked very well and you see how the englishmen were exposed they had no clue about playing the spin right i mean even akshar yeah. patel akshar patel uh, is not a traditional spinner uh, like jadeja he would he would get most of his wickets on balls which did not turn so it worked for india and nothing wrong with it i think uh, not that the fast we didn't have the fast bowlers to deliver yeah but probably we had better spinners so nothing wrong with it right yeah and it adds an important flavor because if we just have you know standard wickets as you were saying hmm. then what's the point of going to perth let's just have all, all right. games in one venue um and i think that's where even recently himanish and i were discussing that ipl 1 and ipl 2 were very different because two was held in south africa and there was seam movement and it was a different challenge so that definitely i think makes it you know enjoyable for viewing because you get different sort of cricket each time absolutely and it's nice. brilliant yeah and it's nice to have that challenge for even the visiting batsmen right like mm-hmm. because if you perform in that kind of a adverse situation 
your reputation only gets enhanced. Would you prefer that or would you prefer just some easy runs or easy wickets in favorable condition? Um, so I think variety is so important, just as in life. I think in cricket, variety is so important. And it I don't understand the outrage that pops up from time to time, especially when the games take place in India. True. And also playing conditions matter, no? Mm-hmm. If you see in England, you more than the pitch, you're worried about the weather, right? right. You may go for a toss, it would be sunny and you would want to bat first. And then by the time your batsmen are padding up, it becomes cloudy. So you then you, you have no chance to change your decision, right? And then your openers right. come back cursing the captain for having opted to bat. So there have been such situations. So playing conditions, you can't counter, you can't create playing conditions. Pitch, yes, you can kind of, uh, you know, you can influence the curator to prepare a particular kind of pitch. And uh, what do you do with bounce? If the pitch has natural bound, it is good. And I think you'll always get a very, very good game if the bounce is true. Hmm. You have to have true bounce for the batsman and for the bowler both. So uh, bounce matters, playing conditions do matter. And ultimately the pitch matters. I mean, that is the most important 22 yard surface area of the cricket field. If the outfield may, may not may be bumpy, you can still manage, but not a bumpy pitch. So I think playing conditions uh, is not in your control, uh, but pitch, yes. Pitch is definitely you can. Right. So um, continuing to talk about, uh, you know, I think we briefly touched on personalities within uh, Indian cricket and how often our heroes have been batsmen. And um, so one of the things I think you mentioned in the book as well, very briefly, was the Gavaskar couple day rift. Uh, growing up, I've seen, I've read reports about, you know, Tendulkar versus Ganguly or MS Dhoni versus Seva. Nowadays, there's, you know, Rohit Sharma versus Virat Kohli, like all these rifts. And I, I've always wondered, since you've been, you know, closer to these cricketers, uh, how much do you think this is actual rift versus people just uh, trying to make something out of it to have people, you know, watch their shows or read their articles? And uh, I, I almost feel like it also comes a little bit from hero worship. There's this, uh, you know, idea that our cricketers are our heroes, and you know, some some a subset will put Virat Kohli on a pedestal, the other subset will put Rohit Sharma on a pedestal, and that causes some of this. So, um, your thoughts on that? I think it's mainly driven by fans uh, in social media, of course. I mean, you can see how uh, Rohit's fans will troll Virat when he gets out cheaply. And uh, and similarly, the, the Virat fans will hit out at Rohit Sharma fans. So that is, there is no such rift. Believe me, you cannot have the BCCI. Uh, just give it a thought. <clears throat> just give it a thought that uh, <clears throat> Benny is the captain and you and I have rift. Would he allow that? He's, he has to lead the team. He has to ensure right. the dressing room. There is a, a very uh, kind of very homely, very friendly atmosphere. And that cannot happen if there are two players who are not talking to each other. It doesn't happen. Uh, there will always be uh, personality clashes, but not rift. I mean, if you see uh, Mr. Gavaskar and Mr. Kapil, they both very strong in their areas, right? And I'll, I can share with you uh, this very, very funny thing uh, when uh, both were summoned to Delhi. Uh, and there was so much of talk in the media that they were not, they were against each other. Gavaskar and Kapil, they're not talking to each other. It's very, it's not having good impact on the on the game. So when they came to Delhi to meet Mr. Salve, who happens, who was the board president, 
So before going to meet the president, Mr. Gavaskar was having lunch with Mr. Kapil Dev in Mr. Kapil Dev's house. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah. So, uh, and a few occasions when people thought Gav- uh, Dravid versus Tendulkar, I had the privilege of going out with them uh, for a lunch or a dinner with both of them. And both were, uh, I, I could never sense any, uh, what should I say, any ill feeling for each other they had, never. They always had respect. Uh, they respected each other's game. And uh, Tendulkar played his way. Dravid was his, his own style. So I never uh, believed and I will never believe that they ever had a go at each other. There was some uh, some friction after the retirement. There was that declaration, if you remember, mm. on the Pakistan tour. Yep. Yeah. And that was again sorted out. Uh, test match. The next match, they went back to their... Uh, and it is natural. You will, you will right. feel bad, right? There was... Yeah. Yeah, and I can tell you, uh, Hari Gidwani was one cricketer who should have played for India batsman. Unfortunately, he did not. He was on 99 when Mr. Bedi declared. <laughs> he declared the innings. He was standard in 99 in a Ranji Trophy match. But never did Hari Gidwani in his life utter or show disrespect to uh, Mr. B because he, he said he's my captain and he knew he knew best what he was doing. Probably I was taking too long to get that one run to go from 99 to 100. So uh, <laughs> so these things will uh, happen when you are you've played a long career. At some point, there will be some friction somewhere, but that doesn't mean they would have disrespect. Uh, Virat, if you see Virat and uh, Rohit, uh, have you publicly seeing them uh, glaring at each other or, you know, trying to run down each other or uh, you see their comments for each other are so respectful. I mean, they they have s- right. such praise for each other. And uh, it cannot happen. Believe me, the, the, the cricket board and the coach will not allow such things to happen in the dressing room. Nothing escapes this. Can I, can I just say that right. if I was on 99 mm. and my captain declared... <laughs> I probably would not be as forgiving as yes. Mr. Gidwani. Um, yes. yes. But, but the other thing that I was thinking about is, see, you know, just like in a regular workplace, you don't have to be friends with your coworkers. And in a professional team, you don't need to be friends with your teammates. As long as whatever differences are there between the two of you, that doesn't affect the performance of the team. If you can still be civil to each other and still help the team win and, and play well. I think that's more important than being buddy-buddy with each other and making a big show of it. So I, I think there's too much emphasis on riffs and, oh, this player doesn't like the other player, or um, even if there's truth to it, I don't see any issue as long as it doesn't affect the team. Very in a long career, suppose four of us have to, we, we work for 10 years. Mm-hmm. There will be times when we will disagree with each other. Right. We will. Absolutely. I, I may not like what you have said, but that doesn't mean disrespect. You can all there's right. nothing. You can always disagree. So that cannot be taken as a rift, na. Uh, I mean, if you if right. you if you see how a selection committee goes uh, when they sit and pick the team, you might f- you at some point uh, you might feel that they are going to pick up chairs and hit at hit each other. It comes to that point. <laughs> but but once the meeting is over, they all sign on the sheet and it goes as a unanimous right. but Benny all the time would have uh, opposed Dravid's inclusion Vijay would have opposed Rohit Sharma's inclusion Mayank would have said I don't want Kumble and right and Himanesh would have said I don't want Kapil Dev but at the end of the uh, meeting the names will be put 16 names and you will have to sign so that is how it is and then when they come when they come out of the room 
they're normal because uh, right. yeah so nobody holds such things against each other in a long career there will be point there will be stages when you will have arguments when you there'll be occasion when you may not speak to i and i and uh, mayank may not speak to each other for a week or so you know i don't want to <laughs> see his face but on eighth day i'll realize no no we have to exist and do our job so that is how it is right right it it reminds me of an interview that hardik pandya had where he was asked about rohit sharma and in the mumbai indians camp and he said something very uh, honest he said basically uh, that you know i've i don't necessarily talk a lot about cricket with rohit i he's not my closest friend and he said something like that and it was very honest and refreshing to see and the funny thing was if hardik pandya was you know as big a name as rohit sharma is or virat kohli is in indian cricket i'm sure that would have been like headline and everybody would would have been like oh these two don't get along exactly. you know something like that we didn't too much into it yes yes and we i think we as indians tend to read a lot into such things which are which can be just you know such things should be ignored in the interest of the team right. and uh, yeah if you follow if you understand uh, uh, sport uh, you will realize that there are high points and low points and there are occasions when you may say something which you may not mean I mean, have you remember uh, Sachin shouting at uh, Lakshman at Sharja during that innings, right. uh, 1998, and mm-hmm. he he gave him a. I mean, it was Lakshman was shocked. Even today, he says, "Oh my God, I was shocked." Sachin shouting, and then another point, uh, how Lakshman shouted at. Uh, oh, yeah, Noja. Oja. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> that was not Lakshman's nature. So right. Oja was shocked, and <laughs> but that is how it is. So. Uh, Lakshman never meant what he said, or Sachin never meant what he said to Lakshman. So these things will be. Dhoni, right. remember Dhoni once um, uh, there was this um, video of Dhoni abusing one of the players. And, Manish Pandey. Ah, uh, uh, Manish Pandey, right? Ha, ah, Manish Pandey. Okay, so that's it. But he doesn't. He didn't hold anything. He, it's not that he will hold it against Manish Pandey for life. It was just right. a momentary thing. In the moment, yeah. I think we're just quicker to judge players harshly but it's it's just that they're in the spotlight they're on TV it's easier to judge but then if you look at your own life or your own workplace think about the number of times you know you may have had a very harsh disagreement with a coworker so it's it's just life it's just you know it's just in our face and that's why it just seems so much more prominent yeah i mean in my profession like my department we had we were five of us we have worked so closely all our life in the hindu um, my senior colleague kp mohan rakesh rao kamish sinivasan rashikar rao who is now the manager media manager at the icc right and why and sarangi is my colleague so at different points we have had arguments we have had disagreements disagreements but today we back each other we still continue to be very very we have such a strong bonding it it has come from working together so many years and and respecting each other's work i can't right. be always wrong ben uh, right beni i can't always be right i will make mistakes so i the, uh, the quicker you uh, accept your uh, follies better for you not for them they know you have made a mistake so <laughs> it helps you to improve and grow that is how it is in a, in in in, in a dressing room right so um going back to kapil dev because it's it's definitely i i, I know it's a, he's a very respected cricketer and it's become as you're reading this book mm-hmm. it's become a more and more important topic for us as well uh you know we've seen since those days that india has always wanted a fast bowling all rounder and a few years ago we had irfan pathan who did that job uh, and you know hardik pandya when he was bowling regularly mm-hmm. 
he did that job to a limited extent in South Africa. Um, do you see India producing such similar talents in the next decade? Because I, I feel like, you know, when Kamlesh Nagarkoti, as an example, bowled in that World Cup, everybody was very excited about him. And uh, unfortunately, he had a bunch of injuries, which didn't help. Um, but do you think such multidimensional players are, there's plenty of such multidimensional players in the domestic circuit? And uh, do you see them, do you see a next couple day of happening in the you know next decade or so? Kapilev, not in the next century, not in the next hundred years, because his his talent and his discipline, you know, the way he used to train, and like I said, he he, he was a natural athlete. He could play cricket, football, badminton, table tennis. He's a spectacular golfer. Hmm. He's he's playing so he's so good at golf. So no, no, not another Kapilev, and I don't think we'll have a good we'll get good all runs for the simple reason that the focus is now more on bowling four overs and swinging the bat, mm-hmm. right? right? So they all want to be good at T20. Uh, they all want to be good at maybe one day cricket is now going to go out of fashion very soon. I mean, it is going, people just want to watch T20 games more. And test matches, it requires a very different discipline, a very hard, different training. And then also you have to, unless you are a natural, if you're good at batting and if you're good at telling also. So the term all-rounder, we have to understand. Now they say batting all-rounder, bowling all-rounder, right? So what yep. is batting all-rounder? I mean, he is somebody who essentially bats and happens to bowl three, four hours, right? And a bowling all-rounder who can who can happen who happens to bat well. No, you all-rounders are you have to be like Kapil Dev, you have to be like Ian Botham, Imran Khan, Richard Hadley. Uh, they were true all-rounders, you know. They could command a place. Kapil Dev could play a test match without having to bowl because he was such a good batsman. Imran Khan right. could also uh, command a place with just his bowling. He didn't have to bat. So uh, if you remember, Imran played the World Cup 92 mainly as a batsman and 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 and, and right. lead the side. So all-rounders are going to be very tough because uh, they are not wanting to be all-rounders. And in fact, uh, Mayank, if you if I if I share one thing with you, these local academies everywhere they are struggling to get bowlers. Nobody wants to become a bowler now because because they have they there is this fear of being hit. The bats are so good, grounds are so small. And the technique has improved. So right from the first ball, you can find a batsman hitting a six-over cover, which was right. unthinkable so many years ago. So that is one reason uh, coaches are struggling. And uh, I know a coach who says uh, uh, only those who will bowl five, uh, 10 overs in the nets are allowed to join my academy. Mm. Simple. So they don't want people, kids to come because they just want to become batsmen. So that's one reason I think I may be wrong. I don't know. But we are going to. We won't have a general on all rounder who will bowl long spells and who can bat long. That's going to be a challenge. I, I think it's it definitely is challenging because, as you said, like you, we will have those bowling all rounders and batting all rounders. But to say that somebody will command a place both as a batsman or as a bowler, that I agree. Like I, I can't think of anybody who does that. Like even you know, I gave the example of Kamlesh Nagarkoti, but. He makes an 11 because he can do a bit of both. It's, of it's both, not yes. necessarily, you know, good enough as one. So, yeah, pure all-rounder, it will be definitely a big challenge. Correct. It is like it is like I am hired to as a sports journalist. So, I can do hockey, I can do football, I can cricket. But I'm not good at any of them. Right. 
unless i am hired as a cricket writer because they say okay he is good at cricket or a football writer he is he is very good at football so just uh, that's what applies in i think uh, cricket also for an all rounder it's also right. where cricket is moving right because you have so much workload now hmm. is it really possible to be a genuine all rounder in test matches like you have exceptions like ben stokes and jason holder yes but i think with the kind of workload you have you will sort of go towards this era of specialization where you have batsmen and bowlers so batters and bowlers and, why not? and it's hard to be an all-rounder yep but why not imnish i mean can we not have five good batsmen a very good wicket keeper who essentially a wicket keeper let him bat if he wishes to and then five good bowlers if yep, like yep that's totally fair and huh. i think that will lead to a higher standard of cricket as well if you have yes people yes. focused on one field and then executing that well yes if you have an all-rounder well and good but hmm. i don't think there's space for that in in modern cricket now you know there's a possibility Patoni, of all-rounders coming up yep. ha you know tiger patodi would always say uh, his team five batsmen five bowlers wicket keeper is part of it so he has to be there but he has to be a good wicket keeper right, right. can you imagine today's wicket keeper i don't want to be harsh who how many of them would have kept to chandrashekar prasanna vishen singh bedi or very skillful very tough to keep wickets to or kumble kumble and harbhajan were not easy to keep wickets to they were you know they tested the wicket keeper actually as much as they tested the batsman so it was very very tough doing this job so it is always i i would always prefer like like you said mentioned just now let us have specialists five specialist batsman and five specialists I mean there are probably good wicket keepers in the domestic circuit but their batting is probably not up to the standards that the selectors expect you know you look at the big hitting of all the keeper batsmen these days and that's how we seem to judge oh this person might be a good fit for the indian team he might be a good wicket keeper batsman the key word is batsman nobody's actually looking at the keeping skills that seems secondary and i think that also affects the balance because then essentially you're packing in six or seven batsmen and then four bowlers the keeper seems to be like almost surplus to requirement yeah but and you're judging everyone on t20 na hmm. i mean all those t20 shots will not happen in a test match maybe once in 20 test maybe once in 25 test matches you will play that kind of innings where you know you will keep hitting those like pant was hitting but it right. is not always possible once or twice if you get out to those shots there'll be criticism and you'll stop playing the shot right because t20 do you blame any batsman for getting out no because he is doing what he is supposed to do no throw his bat around he is not supposed to allow a dot ball so it's only format where a coach doesn't scold a batsman for playing a bad shot right in fact you'll be scolded if you are there for too long yes <laughs> scoring too slow yeah so there's the world test championship final coming up It's a very new thing in cricket, right? You don't usually have these finals or championships in test cricket. So, what are your thoughts on that? Because they're trying to add some sort of context to cricket with it. What are your thoughts on the chances that India have and the team that we've picked? The team has been picked with keeping in mind the venue, right? Right, right. And and then the subsequent series where they they don't expect you to. They know England is going to wait for you with no uh, no way the pitch is going to help your spinners at all. right because they they right. they have had this humiliation uh, in india where they were looked to uh, they i mean they were exposed honestly so uh, this test championship uh, uh, team has only been picked uh, keeping in mind southampton but then i was told a friend of mine a cricketer friend of mine was saying that it's not the same it doesn't seem a lot now 
and the pitch is also changed this pitch is hard now so good that is um, i i expect india to win the test match even though people are saying trent bolt could be jameson could be but then we have uh, we have very good batting lineup i'm sure who doesn't bat in this 11 if you see maybe ishant otherwise and bumrah have... yeah. and bumrah sorry yeah sorry yeah bumrah yes bumrah and ishant so you have nine batsmen who would have hit a first class century till number 9 right but uh, but himanesh do you like this idea of test championship i mean i think it's a farce hmm. it is because they're trying to externally impose some sort of structure on test matches yeah. it's just a way to pacify some people and i don't think it does any good for cricket because people don't really talk about it right like yeah. within a league you have talk of context right that there's a points table and there's context going on the the test championship is so long drawn out that you don't talk about this context which is what is supposed to make something interesting you know so i think it's a top down sort of imposition that someone has come up with i don't think it's actually helping cricket too much it is bound to be interesting that you have this match going on in lords i think or like southampton southampton yeah mm. yeah mm. so it's it's fascinating but it's like a one off and i don't understand if it will really improve test cricket like it'll be fascinating to watch it mm. so yeah yeah i don't think it's structured well because mm. aren't like uh, some teams are not even like facing off against each other like india didn't play pakistan or Absolutely. i don't think india played sri lanka i was about but, to ask himanish the same a test championship where india hasn't played pakistan <laughs> yeah Yep, yep. And New Zealand, one of the finalists, has played majority of their games at home. So, hmm. yeah, I mean, I think they've not structured it well. The one reason I'll disagree with Himanish though is it it also brings people's focus to other cricket teams. Like for example, the Bami Army would never really care about South Africa getting beaten by Sri Lanka at home, but now with the points table, their position gets impacted. Right. So it it brings that context. But I do agree that it's not been structured well enough where. Yeah. each team plays you know relatively equal number of games away and home it seems like new zealand played almost all at home and uh, india played almost all away or uh, you know had a 50 50 split i think it's designed to maintain the ftp while pretending that you have changed something where the top 3 again play the most number of matches and the others don't and so it it pretends to do something but it's not really doing anything except for maintaining the ftp in the garb of this championship yeah yeah it doesn't excite me at all maybe i am wrong uh, but i am not really excited that india is going to play new zealand at southampton and and one of them is going to become the world test champion i don't know what it is it's kind of like the world cup right like you could be really good in every game but then you lose in the final and you're not really considered world champion yeah 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 in any case uh, do you have to have a competition to know which is the best team in the world you would always know as as right. a, as a normal cricket average cricket fan do we need a test do we need a final to 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 know which is the best team in the world right it's the same as a world cup right so a world cup imposes artificial context and then hmm. makes a competition out of it that you have a semi final and a final and that sort of decides who's the best team in the world but actually you don't need a world cup to know that right so it's similar to a test world cup but it's poorly designed it's long drawn out so it doesn't have that excitement Yeah, so it's I don't know what the IC were thinking. They were just trying to do something. Correct. And Himanish, yeah. a World Cup does the best team always win the cup? <coughs> no, that's the point. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so many of these World Cups, uh, the best team never won. I want to ask each of you: uh, Would you like to watch a 
cricket from the 60s and 70s where uh, there were no helmets pitches were uncovered some of the finest bowlers and batsmen right and uh, who had to be at their best all time whether playing at home or playing overseas or you want to watch uh, cricket from an era where you had tendul the fabulous five the indians or even even the uh, somebody like lara was there or maybe you know like atherton was there a great batsman somebody like hayden you know who could who was a terror so which cricket would excite you each of you if you could just I am very keen to know. So the Fab Five era and the Hayden era, that I I think we've all grown up seeing. We've not seen as much of the 60s, hmm. which is why and and as you said, the other context is uncovered pitches, no helmets. So I think that's why I personally would pick that. But it it I guess the bias is that I've already seen the <laughs> Fab Five play, so that makes my decision easier. <laughs> Himanish, what about you? I think the earlier era would have been a little more fascinating because the five five era is kind of uh, batting friendly, and we talked about this in a previous episode as mm-hmm. well. So, so watching bowling do something would have been very fascinating mm-hmm. compared to the current or like the. Benny, you are you are you are you are the final word on this. <laughs> well, I agree with him, Anish, because I've heard so much from my dad about. you know like oh couple day was amazing richard hadley was amazing ian bought them. so you hear all these names and there are very few good clips to see and i don't think it really does justice to their actual game and like himanish said i think bowling uh was a lot more ex- or i should say for bowlers uh there was a lot more back in those days and even for that matter you know when i started watching the game in the late 90s i think wasim akram who's my favorite all time favorite cricketer was yeah. coming towards the end of his career but i would have loved to see a lot more of him in his early days when he was fresh and exciting so i think i would prefer you know like the 60s 70s or even 80s for that matter i think it would have been a, a lot more exciting to watch as a fan who who right now is so used to t20s and you know the, the completely new brand of cricket that's being played i think yeah all fans could do with some a trip down you know not memory lane because i don't think anyone remembers but <laughs> just a trip to a different era to see the different style of cricket the different kind of players yes, that international yes. and, cricket had yeah and all, i also miss bowlers who run through the opposition if you mm. see today there aren't many who would on their own maybe back six wickets seven wickets eight wickets in the right. game if not in one innings always but somebody who will who would rattle the opposition individually by 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 running as they, they used to say he he'll run through the opposition so they would pick mayank because he runs through the opposition any 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 pitch any condition they know that mayank will get four wicket five wicket in any condition i i miss i miss uh, bowlers of that type right well on that note uh Mr. Lokapalli, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you, you know, we, we have so much to talk about, and I, I feel that we can still go on for more time talking about so many different things. And I really hope you do come back again, where we can talk about Please. something different next time. But uh, again, so thank you so much for your time, and uh, we wish you the best. I, I know, again, you know, we talked about this earlier that this is. just a really tough time for us all so i hope you yeah. keep safe your family uh keep safe and uh you know we'll look forward to checking in with you again and you too all three of you uh, we would love to meet again where i'll ask more questions than you would ask <laughs> yes you can interview <laughs> us <laughs> yeah
Well, that's it for this episode of The Last Wicket. A special thanks to Vijay Lokapalli for his time and perspectives. You can follow him on Twitter at Vijay Lokapalli and his book Speed Merchants, The Story of Indian Pace Bowling 1886-2019 to can be found on Amazon. Please check out the links in our show notes. Meanwhile, do rate and subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. Follow us on your social media feeds. And do leave us a voice message if you would like to be featured on the show. Thank you for listening to us. And from all of us here at The Last Wicked, stay safe and stay healthy.